Have you seen the film 300? Yes. <laughs> when the lead character spot and kicks that guy down the well. Yeah. Okay, that's that was the impact of this guy's words. He said to me, the only difference between a grave and a rut is the depth. The only difference between a grave and a rut is the depth. And that yeah. hit me straight in the heart and straight in the head. Welcome to the Building Business Resilience Show with your hosts, Gareth Shears and Shane Highland. This is a podcast from the founders of Sanctuary Financial Planning, which helps business owners and social influencers achieve financial independence. Gareth and Shane are two passionate financial advisors on a mission to seek out new ideas, tips and tricks to help you take control of your finances and run better businesses. Their aim is simple, to ensure their clients have a well-constructed financial plan without becoming distracted from their busy lives or businesses, allowing them to live for today, knowing that tomorrow is taken care of without the fear of ever running out of money. Nothing outrageous, just clear, simple, solid financial solutions. In the show, they delve into the true goals and aspirations of their guests, revealing what makes them tick, along with a little humour thrown in for good measure. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm very well, Gareth, and I'm looking forward to our our conversation today. Good, good. How's, how's things going? Uh Transparency is a value of mine, and there's been a bereavement in a family recently, which yeah. is, which is, has took us all by surprise, um, completely unexpectedly, uh, and somewhere, if I'm honest, between the the shock uh, and the grief. So, but I, I'm present today. Uh, I'm in work. I'm client facing, uh, and I'm yeah, looking forward to to having a very uh, honest and vulnerable conversation today. Yeah, yeah. Mor- morning, Dan. I'm uh, I'm loving the uh, the headphones. By the way, <laughs> uh, it's a you know another one of those COVID uh, workarounds <laughs> uh, during the first lockdown with, with childcare obviously not not being available. Uh, my little girl who was three and a half at the time, my little boy that was eighteen months, you know they were very vocal in the background, uh, <laughs> and my wife with her constant Amazon deliveries, uh, and then a dog barking. So uh, th- these are these are uh, Amazon's finest noise cancelling headphones. Yeah, t- talking of Amazon deliveries like how many amazon deliveries your wife have a day because i work from home yesterday and the door the door went constantly mm, yeah the, the, most the most frustrating part for me is that my, my wife now just puts my address and everything yeah. so i've got all these deliveries coming and obviously forgetting what i've ordered myself i open these uh, cardboard boxes and you know and needless to say it's nothing that i would find interesting as if like face cream or nappies for the kids you know yeah. <laughs> but that's that face cream container comes in a box that's three foot long by two foot wide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Jeff Bezos decides to go carbon neutral, he's got a hell of a job on his hands. Oh, <laughs> it, it, it is. But like, I, I thought they'd stop doing that because I remember the first time I had something come in a box, which was like, you're like, hang on a minute. I ordered something which was about the size of a peg, right? And it's in a box <laughs> which you could fit two pairs of shoes in. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, what? But no, they still do it, don't they? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, so, 
I'm part of a, 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 it's a program called KPI, Key Personal Influence. And the idea is that you supposedly become a celebrity in your industry. Uh, and we'll probably talk about that because you guys are in it as well. But uh, I've been doing some research around books for people that are in a similar field or industry to myself. And one of the books I ordered was on divorce. Um, and I, if it's a book, our letterbox is quite small and sometimes the, the packaging is too big. So I send them to the post office, which is only a few hundred meters from my house. Uh, and the girls in the post office, you know, they're great. I even... I even gave them uh, some chocolate brownies at Christmas, the ones we were talking about earlier, just to keep them <laughs> sweet. But uh, the girls had given my parcels to somebody else by mistake. Uh, and the only parcel <laughs> that was open was the book on divorce. So uh, needless to say, someone's opened this package, you know, <laughs> seen a book for divorce and just returned to sender, you know? So uh, yeah, there we go. Amazon. <laughs> Here's a conspiracy theory for, you know, when you're talking about Amazon and that. Um, did Jeff know about, you know, COVID because everything, all essential shopping is closed down. The only way you can get anything else in the world is through Jeff's shop. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Efficiently yeah. as well, sadly. I think uh, it's the efficiency of Amazon, though, isn't it? Because like Kath ordered something for the kids the other day. So it took like seven days to come. I ordered something off Amazon and it's there the following day. It's, oh, they're, they're the, in some instances, it's the same freaking day, isn't it? But. Yeah. And ninety five percent of the stuff is stuff that you don't actually need. <laughs> yeah, I've cut down on that a bit this year already. <laughs> oh yeah, but yeah, there we go. So digressing Dan, already. Oh yeah, always, always. <laughs> um, so Dan, you're the you're the founder owner of Better Men Coaching. Um, tell us a bit about that, mate. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, so. Essentially, I experienced my my own potentially early midlife crisis uh, back in 2017, uh, and that was a real catalyst for me. It was a moment of of crisis at first, but then I recognised it was a moment of opportunity. Uh, and when I was able to start working through some of the things that I was finding challenging in my own life, I recognised that there's lots of other guys similar stages of life um business owners career professionals mid 30s young dads um, that were experiencing very similar situations to myself um uh, and i i chose to make a stand i chose to be vulnerable and honest about my story uh, and to use that to create the space for other men to to really create a sense of purpose in their lives to connect to themselves and others uh, and to get out of this trap of of constantly feeling under time pressure constantly feeling as though they're they're in this bubble of, of their own life through work life social commitments responsibilities to <clears throat> excuse me themselves their children their wives their friends and just to start creating space in their lives so they can live on purpose yeah that's nice it's um We'll come on to your kind of story with that a uh, kind of a little bit later, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I I think you're right. You know, kind of we're, men men are great for kind of keeping it all inside on there as well. Do you know what I mean? And not kind of lending it out and trying to be the trying to be the brave trying to be the brave front of everything. Yeah, it's it's like the first rule of Fight Club. You know, don't talk about what it's like to be a man. Um, you know, the society doesn't really, uh, until recently, hasn't really made it you know appropriate for men to express their, their thoughts and their feelings. Yeah. Um, you know. My the the men in my life when I was young they they taught me essentially to either repress emotion or to stonewall uh, things that they found difficult um, and quite simply the way that translates into society now is that you know the biggest killer of men under forty five is suicide mm. um, when we take 
you know, an objective look at, at marriage. So like 42% of marriages now end in divorce. Uh, and when we break that down, 66% of those divorces are instigated by the wives whose needs aren't being met by their husbands. Mm. So there's, you know, it's a very real, uh, and this is part of why, you know, why I do what I do um, from being at the, the raw painful end of close to divorce, uh, real poor mental health, you know, even suicidal in some respects to, to now being a, a true self leader and somebody yeah. that, that helps other men step into their purpose. Wow. Wow. Those are big things. And I suppose the, 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 all of those thoughts and stuff like that come into your um your background in the military as well because I, I presume was the idea of you know fronting up to things and that just get on with it rather than talking about it or was that is that just uh, something that you you think or is the military side of it more that there was talks and and dissecting things like that or just just get on with it you're told what to do and, and move on yeah in a way because I'm at a stage now where, you know, I've done a lot of reflection on some of the decisions that I, I've made back in my, back in my younger days. Uh, and the reality was that I was playing at a high level sport before I joined the military. And my, my contract uh, was, was at an end. You know, I wasn't going to be kept on in a, in a team that I was playing at. And essentially I ran off to join the military because I didn't know what else to do. My, my grades were sufficient enough for me to, to go into a trade. Uh, and there was no resistance from uh, my mum or my, my grandparents, the people that are really fundamental in, in my early years. Uh, and I ran off to join the military. And, okay. um, yeah, the military is a great, it's a great proving ground for people that feel as though they need to prove themselves. Uh, and I was certainly one of those. You know, my, my dad leaving when I was young meant that I'd always kind of wanted to be recognized by people. Uh, and my, yeah. my mechanism for that was sport primarily. You know, I was, uh, I captained every team that I was a part of uh, as a, you know, leading people, even from an early age. Uh, I, I actually joke now, my, my best friend, who's my, here's a story for you. We were both in intensive care as premature babies. Um, his mum and dad moved in without knowing next door to my nan and granddad. So we lived next door to each other. In school, we're the only prefects not in top sets. Uh, uh, and this guy now is still, he's still my best friend. You know, we, we, when we can without COVID, we go on holidays together. We spend time together. And uh, yeah, it's uh, what I recognized from my time in the military was that it's an opportune space to, to hide your weaknesses because your effort is recognized through promotion. And I was always promoted ahead of my peers. Um, maybe it's a little bit different to, to a standard corporate environment, but you're graded in terms of your performance. Yeah. Uh, and those grades are made public. Everybody gets to see where they sit. The pecking order is clear. <clears throat> and I found that by outworking, uh, you know, outperforming, um, being more resilient in a, in a negative con in a negative aspect than other people that I'd be recognized as the, the, the top guy in, in my job or my field. I'd be promoted for it. So yeah, the military is an interesting experience for me. When I reflect back now, it was certainly me running away from the, the questions that I couldn't answer about my life. Uh, and I see that all around now, lots of guys, when they've got more questions and they have answers, they don't know what to do. Um, the easiest thing for them to do is to is to bury themselves into into their career or into into a sport. You know, I've never seen so many middle aged men with Iron Man tattoos on their legs. <laughs> you know, you know what what yeah. does an Iron Man represent? Is it is it really a challenge of endurance or is it an opportunity to get away from the the mediocrity of life? 
to spend hours and hours a week out on a bike, in the pool, in the sea, out running. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of it, you're given a medal. And that's the same as the military. I was given rank. I was given responsibility. And all that did was continue to fuel this sense of having to prove myself at every level that I went to. Because each level that you attain means that you're at the bottom of that one to 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 climb up to the next level. So the, it's a constant circular thing of going, I've achieved up to the next step, but do you know what's in front of me now is a big jump up again to the next level. Absolutely. And that's the irony of life, isn't it? Yes. Particularly, particularly when you look at achievement through a lens of what we've been taught or conditioned to think and feel by our, our fathers and the other men that are older than us, that the whole point of life is to, is to climb the ladder. But when you get to the top of that ladder and find us against the wrong wall, it's kind of a, it's kind of a sick in the stomach feeling. You know, all those years that you've wasted, all that time, effort, energy, the consequences in terms of your relationships and health. And for what? Because you're not even happy. You don't even feel fulfilled or successful. Youth is wasted on the young, isn't it? Robbie Williams says. You only you only <laughs> realise this in the future. Yeah. Only you, Shane, could get a Robbie Williams lyrics into this conversation. <laughs> I've got well loads then, of things well on my screen. <laughs> But you know when you when you start talking about the the Iron Man thing, I don't know. I I do think um, maybe in COVID now with the amount of people that have got bikes and that, and I've been looking at a bike recently. They they aren't available. The amount of people now that have said, "Kids at home, I need to get out on that bike for six hours." But I don't. Know, I I think it's you know more than. I, I've a lot of respect to the people that do that because I don't think I can do it. One, I wouldn't have the time to train, and two, I don't know if I if I can do it. So, is it the the willpower to kind of be able to say, "Look what I've achieved"? It is. It is a nice tick uh, in the box or um, tattoo on your calf. I have a deep level of respect for for people that put themselves into the environment uh, and the arena of Ironman, or particularly any any sport where they're achieving at a high level. But what's really important for me is that they recognise the the principles of that decision-making and they bring some consciousness to it because, and I say that based on my own past experience, because when I was in a poor place with my mental health, exercise was my release. Yeah. You know, I'd be training two or three times a day. Uh, I was in better shape physically than, you know, in my mid thirties and I was in my late twenties when I was leading, leading commando forces, training men to go to war, you know, being at, being at the front of, of every, every physical activity we did, but I was in a better shape, better physical condition, mental, uh, physical condition. Um, when I was hiding from the reality of my life. Mm, so yeah. and whether somebody, you know, decides to get, to, um, you know, below 10 handicap in golf, whether they decide they're going to do a sub 12 hour Ironman, whether someone's going to run a London marathon in less than three and a half hours, whether they're going to go off to the Alps to, to do some, you know, some climbing in the Alps, whatever it is, you've got to understand, you know, why you're making those decisions. And if, and if it's to stay away from the reality of the, the, the harshness of your life or the difficult conversations that you need to have, then for me, it's for the wrong reason. Yeah. I agree. I, I, in, in a comical, um, I'll just throw a line out. I think a lot of people will, will use it now to get away from homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm fortunate my kids are at nursery age, so we, we, we haven't got that, that challenge at the moment. But um, obviously, you know, my, my job is to create space for men to, to recognize perhaps, you know, the decisions that they've made and where that's led them and then to create, to create and act on different decisions. So often, you know, homeschooling has been coming up since since last year. Uh, and the only way to deal with it, from my experience, is is to create some space for yourself. 
you know, instead of just jam packing our diary from one Zoom meeting to the next. Mm. So actually use your diary for um, actually use your diary to reflect your priorities and your intentions. Schedule some lunchtime in there. You know, use some time at the end of the day before you go downstairs or you leave your bedroom or your home office to go straight into your family. But just to decompress a little. Yeah. I think it's yeah. important. No, I agree. And I know when Gareth is, you know, when we're sharing the office in here and he comes in the audit, if he does need to call sometimes, he's calling, he's out, out and about, he's, he's gone for a walk, you know, just to, to clear the air. I, I try and jump on a, the watt bike most days and that, but it doesn't have to be eight o'clock in the morning. If, if there's a meeting at eight o'clock, it's factored into the day. So it can be at 12 o'clock. It can be at any stage, but it, there needs to be that yeah. period of time to get away from it because... Uh, the, the concept of sitting in front of a desk or uh, chatting on Zoom for hours and hours on end, you're just absolutely fatigued at the end. And I think a lot of us have got to the stage, you know, if family want to do a kind of a Zoom chat now, you kind of go, oh, God, no, I don't want to do it now in the evening. You know, it's 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 a negative side of that now. We're just all tired. There's, there's certainly a lot of Zoom fatigue around. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think man- managing your diary, making sure that you're creating space for yourself, Um being comfortable as well with doing nothing. You know, m- most men find it really difficult to sit down and relax or they, they feel guilty or perhaps embarrassed because they feel that like they should be doing something else. But uh, yeah, if you're really using your diary to be a, to, to be a reflection of how you want to live your life. Yeah. Um, that's, that's important. Yeah. I'm trying to do that now. I, I, I've tried an abundance of journals and all those type of things, but I think sometimes the issue with that is they're written for the individual who wrote the journal and is written in a certain way so i've literally just got an e4 diary now and every day i have my little topics and like kind of because i've got myself back into training now because shane's brilliant at it but i've kind of lost my way with fitness and stuff but i've managed to get my head back into it even if it's just going for a walk for half an hour yeah um because i kind of lost my way with eating kind of last over the last few years and i kind of went off with people and i've kind of really got that back on track and now i need to get my fitness back on track because historically i've always been very fit but that's literally gone out the window. And I can't, I'm not blaming COVID for that. I'm just blaming just general lifestyle before that. You know, kind of, I was just all in on work and that's all I was doing. Some days I wouldn't eat, other days I would binge eat and so on and so forth. But now I've really kind of dialed it in now and, and I feel so much better. Everything's just yeah. a lot more clear. And now I started training again over the last kind of week. Head's clearer again. My head's pretty yeah. clear anyway. I, I always keep a pretty clear head anyway, but it's getting even clearer now. And I kind of yeah. understand more. Kind of what you just described to me is is a uh, Jocko Willink. He's an ex Navy SEAL, yeah, uh, and he's probably made millions out of a couple of concepts. But one of those is extreme ownership. You know, you said that you're not blaming COVID. You know, you're you're, you're getting into eating healthy. You're creating space to clear your head and to to feel better, uh, and that's the reality. When you blame somebody or you blame something outside of yourself, it gives away your power of change, and then all you're stuck with is with the same problems. Yeah, most of the time, the only person to blame is yourself, isn't it? You know, you put yourself in those situations, you know. You can, I, I always, and I say this all the time, you can only control the controllable. You know, and that's some of the things you've got to get in your head. You know, I can't control it snowing. I can't control COVID. But I can control how I react to it. I, I, think, it. I think um, Kinder and Cadbury's can take a, a proportion of blame for me. I'm a, <laughs> I might be expelling calories, but it's quite easy to put them back in then again through a half packet of Maltesers or a kid's, kid's kinder bar. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember our enthusiasm in the, in the first lockdown. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't really any, any, you know, significant disruption at first. You know, people didn't realise what was going to happen. Um, and, you know, there was, there was no hindsight available at that point in time. Uh, and the first, so what happened was we, we were actually on holiday in, in Dubai. It was kind of a calculated risk. 
about going away uh, in March. And to be honest, it was a complete waste of time. You know, the day the day that we landed, the US shut the borders. And it was like a bit of an oh shit moment. This is real. Um, and my wife was, you know, she was really concerned about her business because she's got a, a fairly sizable business in the service sector. Um, you know, 60% of her revenue was was gone within kind of the first week of lockdown. So, uh, but we, we, we managed to get home. We weren't quarantined at Heathrow. We traveled home, very, feeling very fortunate to get home and have some toilet roll in the house. And... Uh, <laughs> And it was the first weekend, you know, the first weekend we we moved my mother and father-in-law in because there was no childcare provision, schools or nurseries at this point were shut. Um, I really felt it was important. I was there to, to serve my clients, you know, guys that were on their own journey and I wasn't prepared yeah. to, to leave them uh, or, or let them be. Uh, my wife, you know, she she created another office in a different bedroom of the house uh, and she was running her, her cleaning empire from there uh, as best as she could. Mm-hmm. So we moved my mother and father-in-law in uh, and the first Saturday night, uh, as you inevitably, probably most people did, you know, had some nice food, um, opened a few bottles of wine, then went on to the gym. And before we knew it, it was two, three o'clock in the morning uh, and we're, we're Facebook or what's happening, what's happening, probably everybody we know on video call. Uh, and there's uh, myself, my wife, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law all sat around the dining room table with the Billy big screen up you know waving at everybody and you know just uh just really probably pissing people off but uh you know fast forward nearly a year now uh and there's a real sense of there's a real sense of concern it's 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 palpable you know mental health um you know people i don't know if you know this but most divorces are filed after the summer holidays um so in september uh and in the new year after christmas yeah. so i've got a i've got a few a few clients and a few friends at work in in the legal professions uh and they're saying you know, there's a huge influx of, of divorces coming in already uh, mental health it's it's one of those things that you know, before we never spoke about it, but now that it's kind of out there in the open, it's it's a real issue. And you know, employers that aren't recognizing what perhaps their staff and their employees are going through, they're going to find themselves, you know, in a really difficult position in in, yeah. a, in a few months. And it's it comes down to exactly what Gareth was just talking about. You know, taking ownership, you know, creating space, doing things that make you feel better about yourself in your own life, uh, and not looking outside of yourself for the answers because they don't exist. Yeah. Yeah, no. it's interesting. I'm driving in today as we're recording this today. Um, they said it's the it's the um, anniversary of the first reported case of COVID um, this day last year. So it's you know wow. tw- twelve months of normality. Yeah. But yeah. It's uh, it's been a yeah a, a difficult. Anyways, we skirted around it a few times. Lee, um, go back and tell us a bit about your journey and especially the the early days. Sure. So uh, I'm at a place now where I can look back on this and recognize it was actually a gift. Um, you know, I kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, I was running away from questions and that I didn't have answers to when I joined the military. Uh, I spent nearly 12 years in the military, climbed through the ranks, promoted ahead of my peers. Uh, my final position essentially was sitting between the Army and the Royal Marines uh, and yeah. running was what was pre-commando training. Uh, I'd have probably three or four courses a year, around about 100 men on each course, and they all wanted to prove themselves and earn a green berry. Uh, And the whole point of what I did was to, from the outside, people looking outside of what I did, was to to give people uh, the the kind of the Caesar salute, even a thumbs up. They can go to Limston to try to command the course, sort of thumbs down, then back to the unit. Um, And it was probably the real highlight of my career. But what that did was gave me a real strong sense of identity. It wasn't that I was 
kind of in charge of these people. It was more of a collaborative effort about showing them the, the skills that they would need in order to go to Limston to, to become a commando trained soldier. But then I, I left very quickly, you know, uh, you have to serve it almost a year's notice in the military, but my year went back really quick. I was so involved in my job that when I left, I didn't know who I was. You know, it was this okay. real identity crisis. Uh, and, you know, we we're kind of alluding to exercise before. That's always been for me a place where I can go and hide because there's something I'm good at. So uh, I found myself essentially, you know, running charity events. One of the ones that we did, I don't think it's ever been done, it probably never done again, was we cycled from, uh, I trained and led a team of cyclists from, from Cardiff to London to Edinburgh to Belfast to Dublin and back to Cardiff in six days. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the distance, the, the logistics, the ferries, the everything that went into it, you know, it was, it was great for me. It was a place to hide. Um, and then my daughter was born in December, 2016. Uh, not having my dad in my life brought up all these, all these wounds for me that I didn't even know existed. Uh, and within the space of a few months from December 16 to April, May 17, um, I went from being a leader of men in the military, being somebody who is uh, a man that other men turn to for help and support through to essentially been suicidal. Um, just almost like a, a switch had been flicked in my mind. Uh, all of a sudden I became aware of that. I didn't know who I was, what I wanted, where I was going, who I was going with. Uh, as a real sense of crisis for me. Um, lots of things have happened between... I suppose April 2017 and now that have enabled me to to really get to where I am. But some of the key moments, um, without going into all, all the details, we were on holiday. On my wife and I, we separated and then decided that we'd make it work. And we were on holiday in the Maldives, and uh, it was a very small island, quite a, a boutique resort. Um, you know, all the kind of guests in the hotel were in each other's pocket. <clears throat> and uh, after a few days, I, I was reading a book called Legacy about the psychology of the All Blacks and what makes yeah. them, you know, the most successful yeah. team in, in the sporting world. And a few some lounges down, a guy reading Chimp Paradox by Steve Peters uh, about how the chimp, if we don't if we don't feed it some bananas, can take over our life. And uh, he he joked to me after a few days, saying we must be, you know, the only the only guys in the Maldives reading self help books. Uh, what's what's your story? And uh, kind of tongue in cheek. I said to him, uh, what's yours? Uh, and without going into all the details of this guy, it turned out he was an ex-premiership footballer, uh, played one of the big London clubs at a young age, had a couple of knee operations which hadn't worked. Uh, and all of a sudden he found himself, you know, with his penthouse apartment above the Thames. Uh, he had, uh, you know, um, a fairly exotic sports car in, 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 in his garage. Uh, and he found himself with, with nothing there were his words, you know, I had nothing because his identity had been taken away from him because all his, his personal identity was aligned to being a footballer, the status, the kudos, the, the respect, all taken away from him because he'd had too, too, too many operations that hadn't worked. And um, we're on this white sandy beach in the Maldives. My wife, Rachel, was reading uh, some kind of magazine, you know, on the on the some lounges or beds behind. And um, just looking over the ocean, he, he said uh, something to me that was kind of like, I can't remember the rest of the conversation. If I was to fill in the gaps, it'd probably be all bullshit. So I'm not going to bother. <laughs> But I walked back across the beach to my wife, Rachel, and uh, I said, when we get home, I'm going to shut my business down. She kind of didn't really know what to say. So she just gave me a little bit of a smile, but she fell asleep on the connecting flight from Dubai back to Heathrow. And I wrote an exit plan for my business. Uh, my first Monday back in the office, I gave all my clients a month's notice uh, and I took eight months off in 2018 to, to really to really deep dive into, into who I was and, and what my narrative of my life was. You know, my, my, my absent father, 
my stoic emotions, the fact that I was a perfectionist, all these things were, were shaping my reality in the present. Uh, and I needed to be able to understand them to decide whether I wanted to keep them or whether I wanted to let them go. And uh, a mutual friend of ours, actually, Phil Davis. Uh, yeah. Phil and I did some work together. And uh, when I told him that I was uh, stepping back, um, he said to me, what are you going to do? And uh, I said, Phil, to be honest, I, I don't have the answers at this stage. All I know is that I want to create a space for other men to, to explore themselves uh, and to do something along the lines of physical and mental wellness. Uh, and he, he said, okay, cool. I've got a guy, you've got to speak to him. Uh, and I had a conversation with one of Phil's connections. And uh in May 2018 or June 2018, I found myself in the Peak District on a, on a men's retreat. I didn't read the join instructions, to be honest. I just, I just paid the money to, to the guy that I spoke to. He sounded, <laughs> he sounded legit. Uh, I you know, sent, him a, sent him a payment uh, and off I went on Phil's recommendation to the Peak District. Um, if I'd known that it was going to be five days of, of guided discovery, diving into the pains of our past, all the things that I buried away in my psyche, uh, coupled with vegan food. Uh, you know, I was I, nothing I love more than a good steak. So I was on vegan food, no caffeine for five days, no chance sharing you know sharing my heart with these other guys that I'd never met um, I just wouldn't have gone but the reality was that as minute I stepped into the onto the men's retreat into the location in the Peak District um, I, I told myself that you know I, I was meant to be there and I embraced the process um, I dove deep into my own psychology. I shared myself in ways that I'd not done with my best friend who I spoke about earlier, with guys that I'd been to war with. They, these guys in this room, they knew me better than my closest friends. And that was all because I decided to, to, to show and tell people who I was. Yeah. Um, you know, after that, there's a few other significant things that happened, but they were the kind of going to the Maldives, recognizing that my life was in a rut and it didn't need to be in a grave. I didn't need to be in a grave at my age, taking responsibility like we spoke about earlier, yeah. recognizing that, you know, only through through reflection could I understand that my past is going to predict my future and that it wasn't a future that I wanted to create. So yeah, they were they were fairly instrumental. The, the next thing that was really prominent for me was uh, when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant again and we were going to have another child. And this time it's going to be a little boy. Uh my my daughter, I've got this this loving connection with her. You know, it's if she needs anything, she comes to daddy, and I'm glad that I'm able to be there to support her um, emotionally as well as physically. But when I found out I was having a little boy, just a wave of responsibility came over me. I, I really wanted to ensure that, and I understood that my legacy wasn't going to be, you know, what I what I create in my life, my my success, my finances, my house, you know, the watches that I pass down to my son or whatever it might be. My legacy was always going to be what I was going to pass down to him in terms of his morals, his values, his sense of direction and purpose. Um, and uh, yeah, I chose to to do some more work on myself. I've been on a few courses, um, done some counseling and some therapy to kind of unlock parts of me that I never knew existed. Yeah. And I'm in a place now where quite honestly, there's nothing that, that I'm not prepared to talk about. You know, even, the, even early on, we're talking about a bereavement in the family. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to stonewall my emotions anymore. I'm not going to suppress them or reject them or try to hide who I am behind a, a mask of masculinity. You know, I am who I am. I'm proud of my journey. And my life is about, my life is about living each day with fun, love and happiness for myself and those that I care about. Amazing. Absolutely superb. So how, 
how has the business then adapted in the current climate and has 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 your experiences assisted with those people that are, have gone through all the, the crap that men have gone through over the last 12 months? Absolutely, Shane. You know, creating a space for men to, to speak about things that are concerning them. That, that caused them sleepless nights to prevent them from, you know, speaking to the, to the, to the wives or to the partners or the business colleagues, creating that space. What it is, it's kind of like a, 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 a physical and mental release. Yeah. You know, sometimes you can see it, people that they look heavy. They're carrying so much shit around with them. The boulder or the mental pebbles that have been building up is it's yeah. on their back and it's, it's hard and heavy work. So when I'm providing a space, my clients to without judgment, to speak about whatever's on their mind, to just be curious about it, to understand where it's, where it's coming from uh, and maybe how they'd like to think and feel instead. What that does, it gives them a, a space and capacity to, to let go and leave behind some of the, some of the bullshit they've been carrying around. Does lockdown, or do you think lockdown has had in some way a positive impact on people you've worked with in terms of re realigning themselves and um, um, making them focus more? Because are these people, people that would have been um, potentially working um, a lot, now they get to spend more time with the family, they realise what family is about, they realise that it's nice to watch kids growing up, or has there, has there been some positive impacts out of the whole past 12 months with helping these people gareth mentioned it earlier you know it's it's about how we respond to what's happening around us as jack canfield uh, he kind of made this famous his, his equation is uh, e plus r equals o so it'll be an event but your reaction determines the outcome Okay. Uh, and i know that that might sound harsh and it might sound callous for people that have lost loved ones um but the reality is it's all about how we react to what's happening around us and, and to us. And, you know, only only last week I was on a, on a coaching call with a client and the reality was that I could see this from my side of the screen, but he hadn't realized it yet, that COVID was the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah. He was in, he was kind of in this celebrity style bubble, uh, reality TV, and uh, kind of lost his way a little bit, but didn't know how to get back, you know. And uh, I, I said this to him. I said... Is it possible that COVID's the best thing that's ever happened to you? And he sat there in silence. It's probably only about 10 seconds, but it felt like 10 minutes. And that insight for him changed his whole experience of the last 12 months. Because what he recognized is that pre-COVID, the reality was that the life that he was living, his the way he thought and felt about himself meant that he was always going to be chasing, trying to keep up with the other people in the celebrity lifestyle that he was living. Uh, and quite frankly, now he doesn't care about any of that. He's been brought back to reality. He's a father of his children. He's a husband to his wife. He's a leader of himself. And that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the, for the hardships that COVID's created. Yeah, that, that's what I was trying to allude to, as in yeah. it's been a leveler that to a degree, no matter how much money you have, there are certain things over the last 12 months that money cannot buy. And that is, you know, meeting up potentially with family, friends and, and all the things that cost nothing. Yeah. And ha- have we have we got too caught up in rat races over the last X amount of decades with, you mentioned earlier, having, having watches or having whatever it may be that... It, 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 this almost um, just realigned everyone to thinking what's more important. And we, we've, we've talked about it over some podcasts before of going, how, how nice has it been to be out with in the your own countryside or the area where you live or, um, and, and walking and 
talking to people that you've never known before um, during the summertime when you were out able to walk, you'd hear, hear the birds and the bees, you, t- you took them for granted before and now you kind of, you acknowledge everything. It was just a, a really, really, really good leveler of money. Money doesn't, you mentioned, I think yesterday on, um, um, on some social media and, and I think I commented money doesn't make you happy it just gives you the the, fr- the freedom to do to allow you to do the other things and money's not important anymore and that's it you know I remember seeing a, a post I think it was on LinkedIn that you know we're all in the same storm but we're not in the same boat uh, and that's the difference with money money you know it does provide choice it provides freedom it provides opportunity yeah. and you know m- money can't buy happiness but if we're chasing happiness outside of ourselves, we're never going to achieve it anyway. Mm-hmm. What we've got to look for is to get is to start living intentionally on a daily basis. You know, know what your values are, work towards them. Um, I think it's I think it's a really important point, Shane. And kind of what I recognize is that when I work with my clients, it's that you know, as men, we've been taught what to think, not how to think. You know, generally, if we look at the, the stereotypical path or, or life journey of a man, it's to, it's to go to university, um, gain a degree, start a business or, or join a corporate organization, work your arse off through investing time, effort and energy in your career to get to a point where you can take on bigger mortgages, have nicer cars, perhaps buy somewhere abroad, whatever it might be. But the reality is then that you're firmly in a rat race because every time your income increases, your expectations increase. And that was kind of what I feel perhaps our father's generation wanted. That's what they did. They, they were put, their fathers were probably post-war generation. They had nothing. So it was all about having things. Your identity, your sense of self-worth is about what you had. That's why people felt it was necessary to keep up with the Joneses. You know, our version of that nowadays is this, this perfectly framed social media photo as a window into our life, which is probably bullshit anyway. Oh, but but that, and that, and that's what I want to do. I want to get men to tune back into their intuition. Because for all these all of the years that we've spent, you know, detaching ourselves from our thoughts, our feelings and emotions and just living in our head, it's time to get back to trusting our gut. We know what the right thing to do is. And if we listen to it, we'll probably live a life that's got less stress, less challenge and less problem. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's huge. I, I, there's a lot of positives to come out of COVID with all the negative sides. But I just hope people kind of continue in the same vein when we do come back to a level of normality like you're talking about your, your client there and um you know it allowed him to probably slow down reflect and kind of realize that the more important things in the rat race that he was in in the celebrity sort of arena but it's it's probably so easy to slip back into it isn't it and it's trying to create those habits that they stay and that's what I've been trying to do you know I mean, me and my wife me and my wife have been working quite hard on a lot of things recently you know even down to we spent the last month Jane knows this like decluttering our house just literally the amount of bags and bags of stuff that we've got rid of um, to charity or whatever and the house actually now feels so much better because there's a place for everything instead of you trying to cram stuff away to hide it from the clutter you, know, you can tidy the house in seconds now where before it was like you're trying to find a new place for everything but it, just little things like that i think sometimes can just take huge that you'd be surprised how much stress clutter can give you in your house um and actually just taking yeah. that away how that makes better you know and, and and you can do that for everything it's even down to like my eating i didn't realize yeah. how bad my eating had got you know we we joked about it earlier we had those gower cottage brownies you know i the, when we had the sample come in, well, 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 it must have been sort of like 
July, August time, I ate the top slab of that without even thinking about it. I only didn't eat the second slab because I knew Shane had to try some. <laughs> and, that, and that's where I was with food. Yeah. You know what I mean? And kind of, and, and I was in denial, you know, I was kind of like, you know, that's fine. You know, I've, I've kind of done it. No one really knows. I've kind of eaten that, but you know, it, it, it that's a key point. That's a key point, Gareth, because, you know, only ourselves know our truth. Yeah. And we, we never, people say that the eyes are a window into our soul, but our words are a window into our mindset. Uh, and, you know, earlier on, we we're talking about like who I work with and what I do, but ultimately it's about cultivating a mindset for sustained success. It's about recognizing that, you know, are you pursuing your own goals or someone else's? You know, is it, do you need a massive course correction or can it be those subtle shifts that you've just spoken about, about clearing up the house, about tweaking the diet, about creating some fresh air every day for yourself, you know, and they're the little things that really, that really add up. And when you make them, when you make them part of your habit, part of your routine, and it brings some structure, they're the things that start to define you. Yeah. And when we look back at, you know, your, your initial point about hoping that some of these positive changes post COVID continue, the harsh reality is that for most people, they won't no. because they feel the sense of frustration or the injustice. Mm-hmm. They've missed out on, on so much in their own mind. Yeah. They'll, they'll work extra hard now to catch back up. Yeah. And, and catching back up, it really is an affliction of our generation. We feel we should be further ahead, which means that we can never be grateful or respect what it is that we've achieved. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I really love what I do. When I sit down with guys and I let them recognize their, their achievement and their success. And then once we draw that line in the sand, we look at actually what true achievement and true, true success looks like for them. And that's where they put their time, their effort and their energy. Yeah. You know, who wants to sell a business, you know, at 50 for a few million, but find out half it's going on the divorce, the, the children that they, 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 they brought into the world that they've got no connection with. Yeah. So do you think, Dan, and it'll lead on to another question that success can be whatever you want. And, and, and by that, I mean, you touched earlier on um, the, the cycle and, and I've, I've had that in the back of my mind and I thought it's, that sounds like hard work, but I, I'm just thinking, oh, Christ, I would have loved to have done that because it, it would motivate you to, to want to achieve something. And for me, that would be ultimate, but also on, on that, it would be going with a group of people, getting to know them, building up a friendship, spending time with other people, which you love to do. And it takes me back to years ago, uh, friends of mine back in the West of Ireland, they, um, when, when pubs were open, they were into their fitness um, a group of my age and, and younger. And every few months they'd sit down, maybe at the beginning of uh, December, January, and go, what hasn't been done in terms of an achievement of, uh, you know, um, swimming a big lake or cycling, do, do so, and they go, couldn't be done. And they get a motivation going, let's do it together as a group. So they achieve something as a, as a unit and they feel this sense of pride of doing it together, but it brings them all together and it just sounds absolutely superb. So it's their motivation of getting through stuff like that. So, um, you know, the, the cycle thing sounds absolutely amazing thinking you'd be absolutely blowing. It would be horrible. Mentally, you'd be in a mess, physically in a, in a mess, but you're doing it with a group of people. It's, it's, it's superb. The motivation is just there. So, um, what what motivates you then? That was a long question, but <laughs> <laughs> just to pick up on your point, Shane, because it's it's a it's a real opportunity for me to share this. Um, for, for me, and in the work that I do, there's two things that I recognise that are, are key to success for men, uh, and the first one is connection. Yeah, you know, connection to themselves, understanding who they are, you know, what they want, um, what they what they want their legacy to be. 
you know, and living life on purpose. And, and that connection, when we look at life, it's just a series of relationships. You know, we all remember our, our childhood friends. We all remember our first girlfriend. We all remember our first boss, you know, and we just go through life with a series of relationships. And what's really important is that we show up authentically in those relationships. Because otherwise, as Gareth mentioned earlier, you know, when we eat that, that second row of chocolate brownies, no one else knows yeah. but us. And if we're not comfortable in ourselves, it's really difficult to have high levels of self-esteem. And if we haven't got high levels of self-esteem, you know, this is called the Business Resilience Podcast. If we haven't got high levels of self-esteem, we haven't got resilience. So that that connection is really important. Uh, and the second part of this is contribution. You know, those guys that meet once a year and decide to swim a lake or climb a mountain, you know, look at the contribution that they've got. They're supporting each other. They're going out achieving. They're adding value to themselves and others. You know, and when you've got connection and contribution, you can almost deal with anything that comes your way. And and that's what I didn't have. You know, when I wasn't motivated in my life, when I wasn't sure of who I was and what I wanted, because I wasn't connected to myself, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, as people yeah. say. You know, I couldn't give people love, time, respect, because I wasn't giving myself those things. Yeah. Uh, and 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 just just to be clear as well, you know, when I talk about, you know, having suicidal thoughts, at that point in my life, I was living in a big house, driving a nice car, earning a decent salary, traveling all over the world. You know, I had all the things that most men would want, but I still wasn't happy. And that was the that was the question I couldn't answer. Why am I not happy? And yeah. that's because I didn't know who I was. So mm-hmm. what motivates me now, quite honestly, is to is to add value, to create as much good in the world as I can. And, and what that looks like in my line of work is, you know, addressing mental health, drawing a, a real tangible link between a person's mindset and their susceptibility to poor mental health. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd go as far as saying that probably 80 to 90% of my clients f- f- suffer anxiety. Mm. You know, but how many of our friends would openly say that they feel anxious about something in their lives? They, they turn to humor, they turn to alcohol, or they turn to trivial bullshit to overcome or surpass, suppress the, the, the fact that they're actually feeling anxious. So my motivation is to, yeah, is to draw a distinction or create a level of understanding that how our mindset informs our mental health, uh, and in doing so to save marriages so that children aren't broken up, brought up in broken homes like I was, uh, and to to really make sure that the stuff that we've been passed down by older generations, by our fathers and the people ahead of us, um, you know, to suppress our emotions, to chase success, uh, to, to be an island or a lone wolf, to make sure that that's not passed on to future generations, i.e. my son's generation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Um, we, we've It's come up a lot on, on here about mental toughness and stuff like that, and I suppose it's more relevant in the last 12 months than any time um, prior to this of people having shit days and, and having to cope. So... We, we all have them, um, or maybe not full days, but you, you, it's a roller coaster, especially the last 12 months. How, how do you cope with those bad days, bad hours or whatever it may be? I'd be honest with myself. That, that's my start point. But what, what I found was that uh, one of five of my clients is we're often so busy doing is we don't take the time to reflect, to check in with ourselves. Uh, and it's a really worthwhile exercise, you know, just at the end of each day, you know, asking yourself just a few simple questions. You know, what, what did I achieve today? What was my biggest challenge? What was most distracting? How will I make tomorrow better than today? Whatever it might be, you know, I've got hundreds of questions that I can give out to people, but the reality is that the question's only as good as your, your answer. 
Uh, and unless you're being authentic and honest with yourself, just like the brownies again, Gareth, unless you're being honest and authentic with yourself, it's it could just be bullshit and you'll never learn. You'll never improve. So I, I reflect at the end of my day. Uh, and the reason I'm starting at the end of my day is because that informs what happens next. You know, if I've had a shit day, but I'm not aware of it, then those those feelings will create my mood. My mood will come out of my office and go downstairs uh, and, and sit and fester amongst my family. Yeah. And if that mood sits around for a few days, that becomes my temperament. And then all of a sudden people look at, you know, Dan's, Dan's a bit tense, Dan's a bit moody, Dan's a bit, you know, a bit short with people. And that's not who I want to be. So I, I work backwards. First of all, I check in for myself. I know where I am after every day. Um, I start each day. I, I get up early, ex-military. It's a, it's, a, it's a habit that I recognize helps me. So I, I get up early. I've got kind of between sort of 5.15 to 6 just to do whatever I want. Uh, and being honest, as a business owner, sometimes that is, you know, checking my emails. Sometimes it is, you know, replying to, to inquiries on LinkedIn or, or through email. Um, sometimes it's just reading my book or, you know, doing some journaling. Nothing outrageous, you know, not trying to walk on water before 7 a.m. or any of that rubbish. Uh, and then I take myself out some exercise. I have an hour. Uh, my, my dog's getting to an age now where, where sometimes he doesn't want to come with me, but most of the time I'll go for a run and take my dog out. We'll be yeah. down the beach or we'll be in the woods um, trying to get away from really the, the bright lights and the traffic that are on the road. Uh, back in the house by seven uh, and that next hour or so is just dedicated to my family, cooking breakfast, making a cup of tea for my wife in bed, uh, putting some good music on in the house, you know, giving starting a day with a real level of energy and enthusiasm for about what's to come. Uh, I did a school drop-off. I love it. Or the crash drop-off. Uh, my little boy, you know, he's, 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 he's very cheeky at the moment. Uh, he's always shouting and waving to people. Uh, my little girl, she's in, in a nursery class. So she's just about to go into school in September. Uh, and just some of the questions, you know, she asks just that inquisitive in that inquisitive <laughs> nature. She's always curious. Um, and then I start my client, my first client's at quarter past nine. Um, you know, I rather naively when I stepped into this space, recognize uh, I thought that I could do, you know, maybe five or six clients a day. But sometimes it can be quite emotionally draining. Yeah. You know, being fully present, listening to every word, every nuance of a client's dialect, you know, trying to guide them where it is that they've told me they want to go. It, sometimes it can be hard. So, you know, three or four clients a day. Um, one of my takeaways from lockdown is the importance of a lunch break for myself. Mm. In the first lockdown, I was just so focused on my clients that the day was just running away. And then when I was checking in, there was a lot of frustration. Uh, and one of the things I identified was how can I make tomorrow better than today was to take a lunch break. So I always have 30 minutes now. I always have 30 minutes. So I'll go downstairs. I'll actually make myself some food. Uh, if the weather's good, I'll take the dog for a quicker walk around, uh, around the road. Uh, or I'll just stand in the back garden and get some fresh air. But that yeah. physical action of breaking up a day, yeah. I find that it, you know, it enables me to go back to my work in the afternoon and to really serve my clients powerfully. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, you said a few times about checking in and stuff. And one one thing I was going to ask about how do you balance life and and working life and and personal life? But it it seems you've answered that almost like as you say, you you know that you can't be there for five or six clients in a day because you almost have to check in. It, in a, Gareth mentioned it earlier, and it probably isn't the right terminology of decluttering your mind from one person to the next person so that you're fully engrossed with with their issues, their problems, but taking time out for yourself, be it the, the, the exercise in the morning, the walk, the lunchtime, and then almost boxing it off. I think like Lee Evans said, um, some some weeks ago when we're chatting of it's almost done my day is done I'm I've everything done that I want to get done and I'm going to go downstairs now and be the the best 
husband, partner, um, father that I can be and work as is done and get on. And it seems that without even asking you the question, you've, you, you've almost compartmentalized um, the, the difference between the working life, the, 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 the family life, and it works for you now. Uh, but there is an irony and there's a pitfall there. You know, people, if people expect that they can just, you know, flick a switch and be able to separate work from life, they're, they're going to find that they're wrong. You know, if there's frustrations in work, they'll transfer into their personal life. If perhaps there's marital problems or, you know, they're, they're, they're unhealthy in their personal life, that'll manifest in work and how they show up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not what I do is difficult, but it's very deliberate. It's very yeah. deliberate. I know where I am at the end of the day. My family deserve, because I love them and I respect them, they deserve my presence. And if I'm to go downstairs, but my head's still in work, I'm not really doing them or myself, you know, any any sense of justice. So being able to to recognize as a transition from yeah. your from your personal your professional life to your personal life and and making a conscious effort to to separate them is, is important. Yeah, I think I think you've I think I like what you said about presence. I'm, I'm a big fan of that, and I'm trying to get better at it. Do you know what I mean? Kind of having that time with the family where you're present, you're not kind of being distracted by emails, social media, and so on and so forth. And I mean, like a lot of the nights, I'm very good at that, where I don't get distracted by social media. Sometimes I will just drop into that, looking at LinkedIn, looking at other social media, looking at my emails, because I'm I'm working my way to the point where I want to turn my emails off, my phone altogether. Yeah. Um, so that actually I only see my emails during the daytime because I owe that to myself and my family. That Because it's so easy to just check. You know, you pick your phone up and you flick on your emails and oh, there's an email there. And it creates that anxiety, which you don't always need. It, it can be an email from a client maybe asking you to do something. It may be not, there's no problem with it, but it creates an anxiety and puts you in the following day already. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the big thing you said today is being present. I think so many of us are not present when we're at home with our kids and our wives and our family. You know, I I openly admit to that. So I mean it's something I'm working on is trying to be present when I'm there because I can be so distracted by other things. And if I have something shit has happened during the day, sometimes I will carry it into the night and I've got to try and forcibly stop myself doing that. Sometimes it's hard. And hey, we're only human, aren't we, at the end of the day? We're never going to be perfect, are we? But, it's, it's not about being perfect no. or about, you know, about being right. It's about getting it right. Uh, and as a little hack for perhaps the, the, the people that are listening today, you know, if you want to be present, one of the easiest ways to do it is to ask questions. When you're asking questions, you're thinking about the question, you're kind of formulating it in your mind, you're, you're asking it of somebody, and then you're listening to, to what they say. So, you know, if I want to be present with my children, I might, you know, I might ask my daughter, you know, what, what, what did you enjoy most today? Hmm. Or what are you looking forward to tomorrow? Yeah. And straight away, any of the stuff that I've got, you know, about my clients' lives in my head or about the way I want to develop my business through this KPI program, it's gone because I'm listening to my daughter and she's getting my full undivided attention. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I don't think you have to be that business owner who works 17, 18 hours a day, sleeps for four hours, he sees his kids, because you, it, it's, it's time you you lose and you're going to regret. Yeah, hustle and culture. Like, you know, it's kind of like you, you, you see, you still see it. People that kind of, you know, they, they call it hustling and stuff like that, but there's a balance in there. Do you know what I mean? Because. Mm. Yeah, when you see like people like Gary V and Grant Cardone, oh yeah, the, the messages that these guys, you know, it's they're so far removed from from hopefully what what modern people, modern men view as success. 
Yeah. You know, they've got all the things, you know, they've got the jets, they've got the, you know, the, the holiday homes all around the world. But the reality is that they put so much work, time and effort into getting to where they are that yeah. it will come at a cost. And maybe for them, they were the lucky ones that got food in that they're still married, their children still love and respect them, you know, but they were the lucky ones. You know, they're the one percent. For, yeah. for lots of other people, they don't have that. They don't. They don't end up in the same place, yeah. and that's what you got to look for. You know, people talk about. Uh, I mentioned this on LinkedIn the other week that you know success leaves clues, but so does failure. Yeah. Um. I remember my wife. She was part of a kind of like a business support slash networking program. Um. She used to pay about twenty grand a year to be in the room and have the support of these people. Um. And I remember she came back from a session, and it was a session they were talking about, you know, about the personal lives, and about how that was informing the the business practice and and judgments. And um. She said, you know, the majority of the room were were, were divorced. Um. Uh, feeling particularly unhealthy when they had to give a score and like how healthy they were feeling. It's unhealthy. And I, I, you know, I said to you, so. You know, do you want to be like those people? Uh, and her answer is, oh, well, obviously not. Okay, so what actions do you need to take that's going to lead you on a different path? And and that's what sometimes people forget is that past behavior dictates future behavior. And you've got it, unless you bring a level of consciousness through either checking in, through reflection, through creating a little bit of an ergap gap in your life, hopefully through your diary, because that's the best way to manage it. Unless you create that ergap, gap, you're going to find that one day just rolls into the next. And before you realize it, you're, you know, you're, you're approaching 40 or 50. And you look behind you and realize that, you know, the two yeah. things we said earlier, you, you haven't got the connection with people because you've been so focused on your work that you've left them all behind. And, you know, your, your contribution to the world is so, is so one dimensional. It's your work, your profession, your, your, your career that you haven't really made a difference. And I think it's going back to earlier. I think I think the last twelve months has probably realigned a lot of people into thinking things like that. That their friends and catching up with them and their family and all of that are probably more important than having an extra ten or fifteen thousand pounds in the bank account because the, the the extra money in that account doesn't give you the memories to you know to sit down and have a laugh and ring a friend up and all that it's it, it, we'll go back to the money thing but it's it's been able to to be in the moment with those people so as you say the, the balance of almost was i suppose like is it dieting or something that a bit of everything is okay so work hard but also enjoy your life and play hard and and, and enjoy the time with the kids there's nothing wrong with with not working 17 hours a day anymore counterbalance counterbalance you know when when your your work or your business demands that you put in a 16 or 17 hour day go and do it but make sure that when you are doing it you, you communicate that to the people that matter most you know if you turn to your wife or your partner or your colleagues or your children and explain to them why you're doing what you're doing the chances are that they'll support you in that decision but once you've explained it also tell them what you're going to do in return you know, I recognize that I'm going to be working late for the next few days or I might not be here this weekend because I'm working. I'm going to take some days back next week. What would you like to do? How would you like to spend that time? Yes. Counterbalance. And that's that's where people, you know, they go from one um, urgent task to the next and they neglect the important. And this is where that level, again, of consciousness, of presence and yeah. making, making informed decisions is really important. And just to pick up on your point, Shane, um, one of the things, the concepts I take my clients through is about being in alignment, that your thoughts are reflected in your actions. And I know that people can't see this now, so I'll try and explain it as best as I can. So if you imagine your, your thoughts are telling you to do one thing, yeah. but your actions are doing something else, you get feelings in the body. Your body's communicating to you, you know, telling you, for, normally for a whisper, that something doesn't feel right. So, so is this the brownie thing of, it's in my hand, 
Yeah. I shouldn't eat it, but I'll tell you why I'm going to. Okay. And then you eat it. And how do you feel afterwards? Probably four minutes of absolute high, but then followed by, I don't know, what is it? 40 minutes of, oh, I feel like a annoyance. Annoyance and I shouldn't. And the willpower wasn't there. And. Yeah, so annoyance at yourself. Then you have some self doubt that you haven't got the the the, the emotional control to regulate yourself. Yeah, then there's some embarrassment or shame, a little bit of guilt. Then you feel pissed off or frustrated, and and all we're talking about is a bloody brownie. Yeah, not the end of the world. But what is the end of the world then is the narrative that we create by not keeping our word because the feelings we have in our body tell us that what we did was wrong. And yeah. if we don't listen to those feelings when they're a whisper, they start to shout. And if we don't listen when they shout, they scream. And this is why guys often get to a point where they have a life quake, you know, like COVID has been for many people. It's been a, you know, people's foundations have been shook. But some of my clients, you know, they, they come to me in a position where they're navigating a challenge. And the reason they're in that position in the first place is because they haven't listened to the feelings that's come up for them. They've suppressed, rejected, they've stonewalled. They've done the things that their dad taught them or their older, older, older men taught them to do. And it doesn't fit now. It doesn't work in today's society. Okay. So so is, is there a, a correlation between the resilience and the, and the mental health of the resilience of not being able, of, of, of saying I'm not going to have that brownie because I know the route or the passage I'm, that I'm going to feel by doing that. So I'm going to step back and not, not eat it. There's a definite link there. Okay. There's a definite link because all that matters from my experience is, is our levels of self-esteem. You know, how we think and feel and relate to ourselves is what informs our narrative. So regardless of where people have started from in their life, what you'll find is that the people that succeed, whether it's in sport, in business, in, in, whatever, in whatever level of society that they, they're successful, they have high levels of self-esteem that they have confidence, they have resilience, they have motivation, they direct their effort into the things that are important to them. And that's all underpinned by how they feel about themselves and narrative of their life. Conversely, people that kind of stay stuck and don't succeed in whatever level or aspect that they want is because they don't feel that they either deserve it or they're worthy of that level of success. So for me, yeah, there's a real strong correlation between mindset, uh, resilience and mental health. Okay. So, so is, is is the mind? I'm trying to to to, to, to use still the brownie. Is the, is is the mindset of? I know if I eat this, it, I I need to eat it because I've had a bad day. So I'm going to eat it, and it's going to give me the the thirty seconds or four minutes of high. But I know there's going to be a a payoff uh, the other side. Whereas if I don't eat that, um, will I get a high from the endorphins from exercise and that'll that'll counterbalance the, the shit that I'm feeling today. But it's easier to to eat that brownie because it's just there rather than trying to get my head into let's go and do some exercise. I the two will end up giving me the same potential high as in I'll feel good. One of them will be for longer and one of them will only be for a short period of time. But I need that high now to to counteract the the crap I've already had earlier on in the day or the week or whatever it may be. You're exactly right. Whether we go out on our bike or we do a walk bike session like we spoke about earlier, or whether we a brownie, we get a dopamine release. Uh, yeah. And our brain doesn't understand the difference at that point between a positive dopamine release and a negative dopamine release. And, and what differentiates the two is how we feel about it later. You know, I, I, I remember this was a really profound statement as well, because um, at the time, you know, I was telling myself that 
that I was disciplined, but there was always in my life where I, were, I wasn't and weren't. And uh, I heard this, I read it somewhere, that discipline weighs ounces, regret weighs tons. Discipline weighs ounces, regret weighs tons. And, and only you know the difference. Whether we're talking about chocolate brownies or whether we're talking about a, an underperforming staff member, you know, we have that conversation or not, or whether, you know, we're starting to recognize that we're disconnecting from our, from our loved ones, our partners. You know, if we don't do what we think is right, our feelings will tell us. Our feelings will guide us. And, and that's that point about intuition, about we've been taught to switch off our gut instinct, our, our, our gut feeling. Yeah. And I want men to reconnect to that. Yeah. So so is, is is mental health going to be a big issue for, for this generation? It already is. You know, yeah. when when we when we look at, at, at mental health, whether it's the the effect at home, what it has on families, because often people don't know how to talk about anxiety or depression or poor mental health experiences, or whether we look at it, what it looks like from, a, from an employee's perspective. Most of your, your listeners are probably business owners. You know, how do they deal with when they're the senior, when they're the senior members of their team, somebody that they rely on to get results, to achieve the, the, the targets, the KPIs and metrics has got poor mental health. You know, people haven't got the, haven't got the training or the understanding about how to deal with this. But the reality is, for me, you know, some people won't like this because it's too simplistic. But for most mental health cases, particularly in men, it comes down to not listening to what our intuition tells us. Not doing the thing that we know is right to do. It creates the anxiety. It creates the uncertainty. It means that we haven't got a foundation, a sense of self to work from. And before we know it, we've lost who we are like I did. And, um, you know, you're considering, you know, the, the taking your own life. Mm. That's the polar. That's, you know, that's a real extreme example. Yeah. But at the same time, every decision, whether it's the brownies or all the things we just spoke about, you know what the right thing to do is. And if you don't do it, you have to live with that. Yeah, absolutely. But I suppose it's 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 like everything in life. It's moderation as well to a degree, isn't it? You, you can't be so structured that you have to do everything. I'm going to say the wrong word correctly, but there's nothing wrong with going back to the brownie again. If you want it, eat a quarter. Just have something to... You know there'll be consequences, but sometimes it's it's nice to have something even though moderation, there are consequences. Yes. Moderation, isn't it? It's kind of because sometimes you can be too strict. And the problem when you're too strict is if someone interrupts your flow, you lose where you're going altogether, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. No. It's whether it's moderation or balance, whatever word that you choose to use, for me it's about conscious decision making. You know, if I choose to eat that brownie, I'm gonna enjoy every single mouthful of it. But if I eat it without thinking about it, I'm gonna be pissed off later. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I tell myself that I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get up in the morning to go for a run, and instead I get up in the morning and I spend hours doing my emails, you know, there's a difference there. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, uh, and yeah. that's what it's about, you know, having the having the cognitive space to understand your decision making and make decisions that are, are in alignment so that your thoughts and your actions are aligned. So you feel good about yourself, which informs your self-esteem, which means that you're bloody resilient. That's Wise it. words. It's good. Superb. So what's next then for Dan? Uh, well, I kind of alluded to this KPI journey that I'm on. Uh, you know, when I started coaching men you know some of my friends took the piss a little bit you know what makes you the expert in in in, in masculinity uh and you know I, my own experience my my knowledge my understanding my insights you know it's given me this platform i think to, to really to really make a difference in the world and yeah. i spoke earlier about you know my, my legacy is what i passed down to 
passed down to my, my son primarily, but also my daughter. Uh, and I want to make sure that what I leave behind, you know, outlives my life. Uh, and, and that will be better, man. You know, I want to take my business to the next level. Um, you know, it's kind of the irony of the, the KPI program is at some point you probably do end up writing a book. But, you know, reading, been able, my children being able to read my thoughts to understand the, the narrative of my life is really significant for me. Um, so there's growing my business. Um, and there's also a community project, which, uh, which I started, it's called men and mountains. Yeah. Uh, and the idea is, is super simple. Just that one day a month, a group of like-minded men take some time out away from their, their lives, their busy schedules, their emails, their, their family, and just do something for themselves. So I, I really want to, I really want to promote that when we're able to after lockdown, um, Last, as an example, last September, between lockdown one and two, uh, I think it was 26 of us uh, in a COVID-compliant manner. We went up to North Wales uh, and we did we did some walking. You know, it was a pain in the arse, to be honest. You know, even for people to travel individually, stay in separate rooms, you know, tables of bloody whatever it was. I think it was like four people in a restaurant. Uh, you know, it was a real logistical effort to get those people to North Wales. But every man that came really enjoyed the experience. Uh, and it comes back to those two C's again you know, connection and contribution. So growing my business, creating a legacy that that I'm proud of and taking better men to a place where we're able to, to have more men along to create the space uh, and give them a connection and contribution that I, I feel that they will, they will benefit from. Superb. Amazing. Superb. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you both. Really, really, really uh, powerful. And um, we've gone on and on and on, but um, yeah, really, really powerful. Thank you. Yeah, I've enjoyed today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that episode as we love producing these shows for you all. The insights our guests provide are so inspiring and motivating. Head over to our website, www.sanfp.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram at The Financial Advisors to learn more about us, our journey, and how we help our clients. Don't forget to listen to our 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 Don't forget.